Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, presented by the University of Maryland Sports Business Society. This is episode number 25. I'm your host, Bradley Pokowitz, and today I am joined by a special guest who's helped lead the core four to win a world championship in 2009, Coach Dana Cavalia. Dana, how are you today? I'm doing great, Brad. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm looking forward to our discussion today and, you know, learning some stuff and getting motivated. So for those that don't know, Coach Dana Cavalia is the former director of performance for the New York Yankees. He helped lead the team to win the 2009 World Series and was a key part in keeping players mentally and physically strong. That same year, he was awarded the Nolan Ryan Award, which is given to the top strength and performance coach in the MLB. After stepping aside from baseball, he continued his coaching passion by helping companies and individuals maximize their performance and productivity. He has worked with business executives across the nation, ranging from Deloitte, Under Armour, Steiner Sports, and CBS. Besides for his coaching program, Dana has written three books and has been a keynote speaker at numerous events. Dana, where'd your passion for coaching come from early on? Well, I was an underperforming player. (laughs) You know, so many of us get into coaching because we relied so heavily on coaches and we realized very quickly that the good ones and the great ones could change our life and can change our trajectory and really change our performance. And the bad ones could do the, the opposite, right? They could still create change, but often for the worse. So, um, you know, I say I was an underperforming player by the standards of Major League Baseball. I was uh, still a, a perf- you know, I still performed, but but not to the standard of uh, Derek Jeter and people like that. So, but it was good. I'm glad I, I didn't or else I wouldn't probably be in the career path that I'm in. Exactly. And your whole career took off from coaching and kind of before we dive into a little about the journey and how you got to where you are today, can you share a little about what your coaching program entails just so we kind of have the basis before we get into the combo. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, more so than calling it a program, because, you know, with a lot of the folks I work with, coaching is really just a relationship. And, you know, when you're at the top of business, right, whatever field you're in or you're aspiring to get to the top, it's tough to do alone. It's tough to see your own blind spots. It's tough to sometimes be honest with yourself. And at the end of the day, it's it takes a lot of energy to try to figure everything out on your own. So the way I work is I work with executives, leaders, leadership teams, sales teams, et cetera. And I help them find um, a way to close their gap, right? So I take them from where they are to where they wanna be, close their gap. And then we work on the next challenge that presents itself. But each time we close a gap and we overcome a challenge, we move further towards where it is that we wanna go. Uh, or we move towards where it is that we want to go and further from where we were. So that's really what I do. So for some folks, you know, it's getting them on a physical training plan. For other folks, it's getting them on a a mental training plan. For others, it's just helping them sort through some relationship issues. For others, it's helping them to uh, untangle the wires in their head about their business. So for each person, it's very unique, but I meet them where they are in real time. And we'll definitely talk about that uniqueness of tailoring it 
to all the different industries, the players after. But let's go now back to the beginning. So in college, uh, you were already working for the New York Yankees your sophomore year while you're at the University of South Florida. Yep. How did you land this role with them? And then what were your responsibilities from the start? Well, listen, I always say this. I had no connections, right? I had no connections. My parents were both teachers. I grew up on Long Island. And, you know, I was a big fan of the organization. I decided to go to college in Tampa because I wanted to, you know, uh, live in palm trees and warm weather all year. But I also knew that the Yankees were in town and there were some other professional sports teams as well in the area. So I positioned myself to strike. And that's, and that's what I did. But my journey didn't actually make sense until I looked back on it as opposed to while I was going through it. And many folks will find that to be the case. Sometimes when we're going through it, we just feel pressure. We don't understand the moves. But anyway, I went to, to the University of South Florida in Tampa. I started uh, pursuing a degree in sports medicine. Um, and I started interning with the football team at the University of South Florida. I was a baseball guy, not a football guy. But, you know, I took what I could, what I could get. And I, I started my journey to acquire actual skills outside of the classroom that I can use to, to, to create and, and build a career on. So the story is very simple. Um, you know, Yankees come to town in February. I drive up in my beat up old car to the spring training facility. I park about a mile and a half away from the stadium and I walk to the stadium. And like every other fan, you know, I have my flip phone out and I'm taking pictures through a chain link fence and I'm sending these pictures back to my parents and my, my friends up in New York or my buddies that are at school and some of the colder climates. And I'm taking pictures of, you know, all these great players that we all know. And uh, literally that day, I, I, I exit the stadium. I go back to my internship at the University of South Florida. And the head strength coach by the name of Ron McKeefer says, Dana, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, what do you need? And I thought I was about to get let go. For, <laughs> I didn't know the reason, but I thought I was going to be let go. And he says, I just got a call from uh, the head strength coach with the Yankees. And he's looking for some help, basically somebody to hand out towels, clean the weight room and hand out waters to the guys. Uh, would you have any interest in that? And I said, as a matter of fact, I just got back from there. I would <laughs> love that opportunity. So the next day I drive up, I have a spot up front and I walk into the main office and they say, are you Dana Cavalier? I said, yeah. And the woman behind the desk, uh, she throws a credential around my neck. It said C for clubhouse, F for field access. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting thrown in Yankee gear and escorted through the dugout uh, onto the field. And there's Roger Clemens and, you know, Andy Pettit and all these great players. And that next thing you know, that same field I was taking a picture of a day earlier, I'm now in the middle of, and I always say I'm on the other side. And then I got on the other side of the fence and, and literally that quickly you can get on the other side of the fence. Yeah. And that's one thing we try and stress as students is, you don't know what opportunity will lead to the next. Um, we had one of actually a coworker of yours, Ben Zettler, on oh, yeah. uh, two weeks ago, and he had the same thing. He was like, one thing just happened to lead to another, but that wasn't the plan going in. But now when you look back at it, it's like that one opportunity can change everything. Yeah, so, it never, you know, it never is the plan, right? And that's the thing. We exactly. spend so much time planning. And I always tell people, don't spend much time planning spend more time experiencing, spend more time engaging and realize that the most powerful currency on the planet is people. It's who, you know, you, the more people, you know, the more people they know, and therefore the more people, you know, 
networking 101 right there something yeah. we always try and stress and you know right now is that time where we can you know make these calls to people that you didn't think were possible you're back so yeah. now you're with the yankees for a couple years um take us through kind of 2009 season what was your typical day like and kind of what did you do with the yankees day in and day out yeah so let's talk about 2009 2009 was the year that we won a championship but 2009, in terms of the routines and the behaviors and things like that, were no different than 2008, 2007, 2010, 2011, 2012, 13, you know, all the way up. So we just happened to have the right mix of players that year that were willing to give more than take. So we had a group of players that year that, you know, many of them have already had achieved, you know, success in the game, like an AJ Burnett and a CC Sabathia and a Mark Teixeira. They came to New York that year to win, right? There was one more thing, you know, in their career that they needed, and that was a ring, you know? So, so that year, the team came together, right? As a, as a group of, of individuals, that came together in February and left a, a, a cohesive team that was victorious. And that's really it. But the one thing I'll say about that team that made us so unbelievable is the work ethic and the expectation for success and victory that we had. The other thing is everybody picked each other up. So if one guy didn't get it done, another guy did. And in that year, we had so many come from behind victories because we never saw the game as over until it was over. So that's very classic of a team that wins. They, they have a tremendous ability to come from behind because they always believe that they could win and that they should win. And that was us, you know, 100%. That, that's what made that team different. And we had these core four of players that were amazing, you know, in Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, and Mariano that had done it before many times. And they were showing everybody each day what was possible. And that's how players like A-Rod said, hey, oh, okay, it's possible. Let's do it. Like I said, AJ, CC, Tex. Um, so as a group, everybody played together. And when you play together, you can win. If you don't play together, you can't win. Exactly. You got Every player has to do their role and you got to work together. And one thing you kind of said with A-Rod and some of those players is buying in to the culture at the time. So I know with what you do, it's kind of buying into the culture, the strength and conditioning aspect. And players have their own routines, superstitions, all of these warm-ups coming out of college from these other teams. So what's the biggest difficulty in getting these new players to buy into the Yankee culture or that team that year, that culture? Yeah, well, I have a little different philosophy on that. And I feel the only reason that you have difficulty is because you don't embrace the player. So if you're somebody that coaches a player and says, hey, I want to change all these things, of course you're going to meet resistance. I was never that kind of coach. I said, hey, tell me what you do. What do you feel comfortable with? What's your it factor? What do you feel contributes to you being great and you being here in the big leagues? Don't forget, you know, these guys are the best at what they do. They're better than the minor leaguers. They're the best at what they do. So for me to come in and overhaul somebody that has a way of doing things that they believe in would be a tremendous mistake because I think I have a better way. I don't have a better way. I may have a different way that can help you, but it's not my duty and job and to push my way onto you. Tell me what you do. Tell me where you want to go and let's work together to get you there. 
And when you meet somebody like that and you greet somebody like that, whether it's sports or business, you have a great opportunity to work well with them for them to trust you and to lead them. And that's really what it, what it's about. So much of what I did and what I do is about building trust with people and helping people navigate through their journey and getting them again from where they are right now to where it is that they say they want to go. Yeah. And we'll touch a little later on, on kind of some of the stuff that you like to teach and some of the lessons that you incorporate in your books, your social media posts, but right now kind of jumping back. So you mentioned Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera before, and I know for me growing up, looking up to these idols, whenever I think of someone thriving under pressure, I think of these two players, but being at different positions, you mentioned a little adjusting to that player. So what, how do you adjust to kind of the two different players, the positions, but making sure they can maintain, you know, physically and mentally in both their situations when they needed to, you know, step up for the team? Yeah, well, the thing is, I looked at each one as different people, not as just different positions. So, you know, each of them presented, they each have different personalities, they each have different ways of doing things. And they also have a lot of similarities. So again, this goes for any player, you know, we just mentioned two that were, you know, Hall of Famers. But in working with uh, them or any player, what I always do is I before engaging, um, you know, any sort of programming for them, it's doing a full needs analysis on on what they need, what they think they need, what I think they need, and then coming to terms with them on a, an agreed upon plan to get them there. And that's, and that's really how it was done. And what makes those players so great is that they had the ability to follow a plan, trust the plan and stick with the plan through thick and thin. They weren't always quick to change and quick to adjust because they didn't play well that night. Right. They were really good at looking at things in the macro as opposed to the micro. And I believe today that's where most people struggle is there, they, they can't play the long game. If they don't do well now, they want to change and overhaul. And that's a com complete mistake because it's what you do in the macro, right? It's show up today and build, show up today and build, show up today and build and do that for the next six months and you build a beautiful house. Um, but if, you know, if today you build a little, tomorrow you do and you're all over the place, you know, you're going to have a little bit of a disjointed, uh, you know, build there. Yeah, you got to be consistent in the long run and have the bigger picture or that one goal in order to strive for it and then get the steps going. Um, so after kind of your career with the New York Yankees, you started up your own company. And from there, you started doing high performance coaching with CEOs, executives, corporate teams, and, you know, presenting at all these different conferences and how to, you know, engage and build up. So most of the people in your early career were all athletic, um, you know, doing the more physical aspect, but still keeping mentally. How is coaching similar when working in across these different industries? I know you still have the mental aspect, it's still goal reaching, but what would you say was like the biggest differences and the similarities within it? I would say the biggest uh, difference is that an athlete uh, is groomed and, and trained and used to being coached, you know, in the world of business, it's a very new thing. And unfortunately with new things can come a lot of resistance, number one, but number two, it also allows for a lot of cracker jacks to get involved as well and say, I'm a coach and I do this and they don't have any experience, but 
you know, and the, they mass market to that audience. But ultimately, the biggest difference I would say is that an athlete is coached from the time they start playing till the time they stop playing. A lot of CEOs and executives have never been coached. You know, if they weren't athletic, they've never experienced coaching before. And, and that could be something that may freak them out. Don't forget, a lot of these folks are not used to being told what to do. They're used to telling people what to do. So for me, I come in and I tell them a little bit about what to do if they want to get to where they say they want to go. So again, the coachability is the biggest thing. Now, that doesn't mean CEOs are not coachable. They most certainly are the right ones. And the ones that I found that are coachable are very similar to professional players in that they're very open. So when I first met Derek Jeter, uh, he was asking me, what, I, what do I have today? And I couldn't believe that one of the greatest baseball players of all time is asking a 19-year-old who, you know, just got his license two years prior uh, what to do. Meanwhile, he's already had more success than I could dream of in that short period of time. So I realized in that moment, I said, wow, this guy's very coachable, which means you don't have an ego because to be coachable, your ego can't be bigger, you know, can't be that big. So he was very coachable, which I appreciated. And I realized that the same is true for a lot of uh, successful folks in business. When I started to study some of the habits and behaviors of some of the greats in business that I've had a chance to work with, what I saw was amazing. They had a team built around them for most parts of their life. So any place they felt that they needed um, to be best, they had somebody there. You know, whether it's a, a personal trainer, whether it's a massage therapist, whether it's a chiropractor, whether it's a, somebody to help them with their mental state, whether it's somebody to help them around their house. And these top CEOs and executives are really just great team builders and great delegators. And they just focus on that one thing that they're excellent at. And they have everybody else who's excellent at their thing doing everything else. Yeah, sounds good. And one of the things that you're kind of picking on up with was coachability. Um, in your first book, Habits of a Champion, you discuss, you know, 15 lessons that will help you win in every aspect of your life. And coachability was a big part in some of those lessons. But if you had to pick just one lesson from that whole book, what would be the most important one for someone to learn right now? Hmm. Sorry. It's an interesting question. But as, as you're speaking that and, and knowing your audience, I'm, there's a, a bonus that I put in there from Reggie Jackson. And we were sitting in Boston and in, in the clubhouse, uh, you know, we were playing the Red Sox and it was late one night and I looked at Reggie's wrist and I said, Reg, man, that's a nice watch. And he says, yeah, it is. This is a Rolex Daytona. I, I said, yeah, that, that's, that's a beauty. And he says, well, just remember you can't get here yet. You can't get, here to his you can't get here yet and he said but i want to tell you this yet is the key word and i i took that lesson to heart because he wasn't telling me that i couldn't have it but he was telling me yet which is saying if you have the patience and if you have the work ethic and if you achieve based on those things you can have whatever you want the timepiece was just symbolic of you know uh, an achievement so, so you can't get there yet. And 
And I know a lot of the folks that listen to this are obviously in college still, or, you know, recent graduates. It is really that you can't get there yet. But if you do the work, it's amazing when you do the work and you have a strong vision of what it is that you want to do in life, you can do some amazing things, but there's no shortcuts. You have to do the work. That, that's definitely a great lesson. And even, you know, me thinking about it, speaking to all of our other podcast guests, it's yet, you know, you have to build there, you have to get there, make these connections. And it's what you do today that will get you to where you want to go tomorrow. Now, in one of your, you know, upcoming books that's right now in pre-order, Champion uh, Kids, Bryant for the Win. I know today is the one year uh, passing since the tragic accident. And in this book, you kind of teach kids the importance of helping one another succeed. And kids have to realize, you know, the greatest gift is having people around them. What lessons did you learn from Kobe that are very meaningful in day-to-day life and how how is this book capturing kind of his presence and that Mamba mentality within it? Yeah. So what's interesting is I wrote the book. Um, really, it's a story not about Kobe Bryant. It's a story that that's about a, a kid named Bryant who embodies just some of the character traits that Kobe Bryant had. And uh, the way I look at a Kobe Bryant is that when one member of a team makes a decision to win and to be great. It's amazing how others will follow or others will fall out. And I think it's a great lesson because, you know, you have to embrace who you are. And for him, he was a great leader, a tremendous leader, a tremendous competitor. And therefore there were people that didn't like him or to play with him because he held them to a standard and a level of excellence that they maybe never thought they could ever reach, never desired to reach or they just didn't have the ability to get there. So it's very similar to Michael Jordan, you know, and, and those that watched the last dance were, saw that. I mean, a lot of guys were turned off by Michael Jordan because they couldn't handle him. And guys like that will tear you up. I mean, they'll make you feel minuscule if you let them, but if you rise with them, you'll have a chance to really go to places you've never been before either. And that's, and that's what makes them great. But the book, Bryant for the Win, is a story about this basketball player, Bryant, who's the star of the team. And he sees this kid, Jacob, who's a down and out kid. You know, he's a good kid, just doesn't have a lot of talent and ability. And the coach never played him all season. And on the final game of the season, uh, Kobe, or well, Bryant in the book says, Hey, I'm going to throw you the ball with X amount of seconds left on the clock. Close your eyes, see yourself as making the shot, lean back and toss the ball up. And, the kid Jacob ends up scoring the winning basket. And instead of being this kid that was just a slug, he becomes the hero of the school. And that was all, you know, catalyzed by a, a character, the character, Bryant, saying, Hey, I don't need to win. You know, on my own, I'm going to help this kid win. And as a result, he'll be a hero. But I know in my heart what it is that I've done. And I, the, the lesson is strong because so many of us think we have to do everything, right? And we have to win. It's me. It's all me. It's I, I got to get this done. Me. Uh. And it's not, you know, if you could operate from a, from a place of helping other people win strategically to help the whole win, you win, you always win. So that was, that was the premise behind the book or the lesson behind the book. Every kid's book I write, 
has a lesson for the kid, but it actually has more lessons for the parent. Yeah, and even hearing that story almost brings back to the last dance when Jordan passes the ball to Steve Kerr, and mm. Steve Kerr then makes the last basket to win the game. Yeah. Um, so little little connections everywhere and all over the place. So kind of uh, one of my next questions about kind of the motivation that you talk about across your social media platforms on your website is the five drivers of performance, mindset, training, fueling, recovery, and influence. Of these five, what would you say is the hardest ones for your clients to learn and kind of understand fully in order to get to that potential? Influence. Because influence is the, you know, it's like, those other, those other drivers. And then there's an equal sign and it says influence. So if you do everything else, right, you'll influence other people. But the key there is you have to do things right, right? There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. But if you do things right, if you live right and you live well and you decide right, you'll have a really good chance of being an influence to others. So, you know, my whole game on social media, I, I go into it and I say one thing, Coach, it's not about you. My coaching career was never about me. Um, what I do is not about me. And what I put out is not about me. So when you put all that together, right, there's a lot of output, 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 output. And then output over time leads to input. So I, I get the rewards of all the output. But my intent is to say, hey, help this person, get that person right, work with this, help this person with this. And it's amazing the return volley that you get from that. And it sounds crazy, right? Because we're also obsessed with pursuing our own victories and our own successes. But when you can literally get out of your own way and say, hey, like I have to be great first, right? But but if I can take my knowledge, right? And, and my experiences and my excellence and distill that into messaging and create messaging to help other people in turn it all comes back but but it comes back most importantly because i get to do what i enjoy doing which is coaching so you know that that's that's the fun part of of all of this yeah lots of wisdom and motivation coming out of this and i know after i'm feeling more motivated and ready to get on with the rest of my day um, you kind of spoke a little back about this for teaching lessons to, you know, college students, but if you can go back to your college self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Just go for it. That's it. Right. And, and I would also tell myself, Hey, Dana, everything that you're learning here in school, it's great. But the application in the real world will be min very, very minuscule. I mean, the skills. No, no, no. I shouldn't even say that. I didn't learn skills in college. Okay. I got education in college, just knowledge, but knowledge and skills are two very, very different things. And to win in the real world, you need skills. And when you take skills and you combine that with instincts and you combine that with the right knowledge, then you win. But, it, but there's a lot of smart guys and gals running around that are actually real world dumb because they have no skills. I used to, you know, I ran training facilities in New York and I used to have all these kids come in with amazing resumes, amazing. 
I said, man, this person, they're smarter than I am. No skills, skillless, brilliant, but dumb. So you need skills to win. If you don't have skills, you can't win in the real world. You know, unless you're hired by a company and they say, hey, sit in the back room and we're just going to extract your brilliance on this particular <laughs> subject matter. But without skills, you can't win. It's the pen and paper people versus the go, the doers, the people who have actionable items and stuff that they want to get done. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get a question all the time. They say, hey, why'd you write your first book, Habits of a Champion? I said, let me tell you the story behind it. I had no intention of writing a book. I said, but as a coach, it was my duty to, to read and to acquire knowledge so I can apply that knowledge to my players. I said, and I, I would read these books. I'd read books across many topics, personal development specifically, and even psychology specifically. And what I would do is I would read through it. I'd extract all these lessons. And then I'd go to work in the afternoon and I'd work with the greatest coaches and I'd work with the greatest athletes in the world. And they weren't doing any of the things that I read in these books that said, do this and you'll be great. They didn't do any of those things. And I said, wait, there's a major gap here. So I wrote a book that was more practical and is more of a handbook for success with stories of real life as opposed to classroom-based theories. So That's great. Um, and sharing the wisdom, passing it down. So anyone listening, if you want to go follow Dana Cavalia across all social platforms, you get that daily motivation. Uh, you got a podcast and a bunch of other stuff going on. So to end off this great discussion, we're going to do a Maryland Minute. This is a okay. series of rapid fire questions. So first, in general, what athlete did you look up to most growing up? Doesn't have to be baseball, but who was kind of your role model? Huh? You know, I was always a Mariano Rivera fan, personally. Skinny kid from Panama. First time I saw him, I said, what the hell could this guy do? Next thing you know, he leans back and throws 97 miles an hour. And he just kept getting better year over year over year. You actually saw him become better and better and better. And I always admired that about him. Yeah, I, I definitely, for me, it was Derek Jeter. I was always a big Jeter fan. So, but Mariano Rivera gets his credit. No one expected that out of him. Yeah. So next, what was your funniest player that you got to coach or maybe the funniest experience while coaching? Huh. Man, um, some of the funny, the, one of the funnier players that I've had, I'd say was, I mean, Nick Swisher was a pretty funny guy. I mean, I remember, you know, whenever we would fly, he would take off his, we would have to fly in suits and ties and dress shoes. He'd take off his dress shoes and he'd be in, you know, those slippery dress socks. And he'd walk up to the front of the plane and he'd take two magazines and put them on the floor. And as the plane was going up, as we were taking off, he would surf down the whole plane <laughs> on his magazines. So uh, it was, it was pretty funny. You know, he, he had a lot of funny um, quirks about him. That sounds like a great experience every yeah. time, you know, traveling. Yeah. Okay. So you got motivation and all of that, but what is your go-to hype up song or, you know, motivational song to play right before a game or something? Huh? I'm actually, uh, you know, you'll appreciate this as a Jersey guy, but, uh, I'm a, I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan and, uh, I'm, I'm a classic guy in terms of, I've always enjoyed born to run. Great song. My, my family loves it. We're right outside uh, where Bruce grew up. So my parents, yeah. 
always had Bruce on while I was growing up. And then <laughs> lastly, lastly, what was your favorite sports memory? I know this is probably tough. Um, you've had lots of memories, both with the team and, you know, the championship run. But if you had to pick one, what would be the favorite? Well, I mean, when you're awaiting that final out, you know, of a World Series championship game, uh, there's nothing better, man. So, I mean, I just remember sitting next to Andy Pettit. We both had our arms like this on top of the dugout, and we were just waiting for it. And, like, you knew it was going to happen. It was just when. And and sure enough, ground ball, bang, and it happened. And it was uh, – the next was just – the next week was just crazy. You didn't even remember it. It wasn't because of the alcohol. It was just everything was happening so fast. You know, you win. You celebrate. You're at a club that night having fun with all the guys. You're exhausted from the season. And then you have the ticker tape parade going through Manhattan, you know, on a float and getting the key to the city. And then all of a sudden one day it all ends. And you're like, wait, did, was that yeah, real? Did. did that just happen? <laughs> so it was, it was crazy in, in that way. But, but um, what I, I, so that final game was amazing. But I, I always say this, there's nothing better than winning. Like, I just love winning. I love talking about it. I love seeing people win. And I think more people need to commit to that. Win. Go out and play to win in whatever you do. Competitiveness is a great thing. And you know what? You'll piss some people off because you do so much winning or because you're competitive. But that's, that is a great personality trait when you can manage it. Exactly. And I guess that's the goal for 2021 going outside of this is, you know, win this year. Get the most out of it and you know get out there and start running yeah i say hashtag win today right to win 2021 you got to win today you got to win tomorrow which becomes a today and you got to win the next day which is a win today so if you just say win today you got a great chance of winning big there we go and that's a great way to end up this episode uh that's all the time we got for today Dana, I truly appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I know I had a lot of fun getting that wisdom and I'm ready, you know, get done with my day and start planning out the next two. Um, so thank you again to all of our listeners. Make sure to follow at SBS underscore UMD on Instagram for future updates on episodes and to learn more about what we have in store for this semester. Dana, thanks again. Thank you.